Hello, mamas, Laura here, and today I'm answering all of your most popular questions about C-section birth. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with physio. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, we are diving into the final episode in this C-section birth series. I'm going to do a Q&A style, and I've picked the most popular questions that you have all asked me. Make sure you do listen to the first four episodes that we've already released in this C-section birth series, as they will help to give you some great knowledge and a good foundation to work from to understand all the questions that I answer today. In the first four episodes, we covered mental preparation and emotional processing, physical recovery after a C-section, and I shared my first two birth stories. Today, I'm answering a whole bunch of questions from women inside my Pregnancy Posse membership, as well as from social media. Now, I tried my best to cover all bases, so hopefully I got around to answering your question if you did submit one. I will be covering age gaps between C-sections, scar recovery, deciding between a VBAC or a planned C-section, bleeding after birth, C-section recovery with the toddler, and so much more. Now, I've not done a Q&A episode before, and I thought it would be best to keep this one natural, as if I were being interviewed by someone else. So I haven't done any scripting for this episode, and I will will just be speaking on the fly. So please forgive me if I'm a little unpolished or if I ramble a little too much. (laughs) Now, at this stage, we are releasing a new podcast series every month. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss out on any of our amazing upcoming series that we have planned. And don't forget that this entire podcast series and all past podcast series are now live inside my online membership program, The Pregnancy Posse. We also have weekly pregnancy workouts, an extensive resources library, and wonderful community forum, which I think you are going to love. I would love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about, and you can trial the program for seven days. Now, for today's final session in Laura's Life Lessons, which is really just like me journaling out loud, but hey, if it lands on you, then that is just an extra bonus. I wanted to share a piece from my most recent journal where I am downloading some thoughts I have on pain in labor and birth and really life, to be honest. So I quote from my journal, we dismiss pain and want to always do something to fix it, to remove it. It dismisses the reality that there is pain in being human. There is suffering in being human. There will be pain and hardship. So rather than try to remove all pain, how can we be with ourselves when there is pain? How can we flow with pain rather than fix it or cope with it? And where are you already doing this in your life? Hmm. (laughs) So just a little food for thought today. I'd love to know your thoughts on this version of thinking about pain, not only for labor, but life in general. So let me know. Come over to at Physio Laura on my social media and let me know what you think about that. Now, let's get into the final episode of this C-section birth series, answering the most popular questions we have on this topic. Hello, ladies. Like I said, this is my first Q&A style podcast, so I'm a little bit nervous. I do generally like to prepare a little bit more, but I thought this would be best if it came out 
like someone else was interviewing me. So apologies in advance uh, if I do waffle. My husband tends to say I am a bit of a waffler and I will try my best to keep this as concise as possible. And if it's a total failure, I'll go back to preparing and not doing it this way. (laughs) So we're going to dive in straight away. I've taken all of the most popular questions that you wonderful women have asked me and tried to cover all bases but also still trying to keep the podcast within a reasonable time frame because I'm really conscious that everybody is busy and we don't always have the brain space to listen to long podcasts. So let's get straight into it. The first question I've been asked is, did I get the skin pouch or the C-section shelf? And if I did, how do I get rid of it? So for those of you who haven't heard of this before, and to be honest, it was a new concept to me, until I had my second baby when I heard people talking about it. So they talk about this C-section shelf. And my understanding of that is when your C-section scar sits quite low, above that, the way the skin forms or the tissues sit, it kind of looks like a little shelf above it. So instead of having a completely flat stomach, you have this little shelf sitting above your scar. I wasn't aware of that after my first baby, probably because it wasn't something that I was focused on. I was more aware of it after my second for two reasons, because my scar was pulled tighter. So I did notice that there was a little bit of a different look to my tummy, but also because I heard a lot more women talking about it. Now, each to their own. I personally, I think women should be body confident after having babies. So I know it is hard to love your body sometimes, but I think it's important to accept how your body is and to change what you can, but accept what you can't. Um, And I don't know if you can get rid of it. I don't care if mine ever goes away. So I do probably have a little bit of a shelf. I've also been pregnant or breastfeeding or transitioning for three and a half years now. So my body doesn't feel like it's ever really been steady. It feels like it's been in transition zone for a long time. So I probably haven't paid as much attention as you might if you just had your last baby and you were noticing how your tummy looked, whereas mine has been growing, shrinking, growing, shrinking for three and a half years now. But I do have a little bit of a shelf. Yes. So what what that looks like from my perspective is that the scar feels quite tight and then there's this like little bump above it. In saying that, I never had a completely flat tummy before I had kids anyway. I've never been someone who rocks a six pack by default. So I probably didn't have those sorts of expectations post-birth anyway. I love my scar. I love my stomach. I am very proud of what it has been through. So it doesn't bother me to have that. Um, I'm also never going to wear anything that really exaggerates that. So I'm really big on dressing for my shape and my, you know, whatever lumps and bumps I have and making sure I wear things that feel really flattering to me. So that's probably not the exact answer that you wanted. How do you get rid of it? But look, I think it's always important when it comes to these sorts of things is why are you wanting to get rid of it in the first place? And I think it's important just to firstly acknowledge that. Is it because you don't like it or is it because you feel weak or is it because you think other people don't like it? I think it's really important to get clear on why you want to get rid of it. And we know that abdominal strengthening will certainly help with the tone of your abdominal muscles. We know that losing overall body fat will also help with the look of your abdominal area. So those things are always going to be in the positive direction for that. But I also think there's a time and place for these sorts of things. So take it slow after birth. Have a think about what your reasoning and your motivation is for wanting to lose this shelf as such. And take it slow when it comes to exercise. 
Six weeks post baby is not the time to be thinking about flattening your tummy and getting rid of this shelf. Um, so just be really kind to yourself and yeah, improve your abdominal tone. And if you, you know, if you can, and it's within the healthy range, then, um, you know, you can aim to lose some body fat as well. Not really my area of expertise, but I do know that those two things are helpful. Massage can also help on the scar to try and relieve any adhesions or tension that you might have in the scar. So that's probably my thoughts on the C-section shelf. I get asked this a lot. So I also have stretch marks and all sorts of, you know, wonderful birth um, or post-pregnancy and birth you know, changes and I'm, I'm okay with it all. So, um, I think it's important to, like I said, it's not always so easy maybe to love your body. You might've preferred your body before babies, but to really respect your body. I think that's really important. Okay. (laughs) Moving on looking after your scar in terms. Okay. Can it feel sensitive for a while? So make sure you go back and listen to episode two, where I talk about physical recovery, because I do talk a lot in detail about scar recovery, but yes, your scar can feel sensitive uh, for quite a while. So it can be normal for this to be sensitive or numb for up to a couple of years after birth. So don't freak out if you're a year postnatal and you're still noticing some numbness. So I am now... 18 months postnatal, almost 18 months postnatal from my last C-section. And I have still got a slight amount of numbness. It's pretty good, but there's still some odd sensations down there. We do know that scar massage can help with this numbness. So I definitely do recommend that you do scar massage. Like I said, go and check out episode two in this C-section birth series. If you did want to hear me talk about scar recovery that little bit more. Okay, next question. Do I recommend support bands after a C-section birth? Absolutely. So if you're in my Pregnancy Posse membership, you'll know I rave on about support garments and compression garments after birth all the time. I recommend them for all women after birth, not just if you've had a cesarean section birth. And I recommend you wear them for the first six to eight weeks, ideally after birth, just to help improve support around the abdomen while all the tissues are shrinking and repairing, and also to help with abdominal separation and any low back pain or vulnerabilities that you might be having. It's really good to wear a support band. There's lots of different options on the market. If you're a Pregnancy Posse member, I have a whole video on compression garments in there. As most women inside my membership will know, I love good old tubey grip. That is always really helpful. So I definitely do recommend wearing a support band after birth. I personally wore tubey grip after both of my C-sections and I put it on probably about day two or three. Once I felt mobile enough to get out of bed and slide into a slinky old (laughs) compression garment and it made the world of difference. And I wore that pretty consistently for the first six weeks after birth, both times and felt really good. Felt really, really good. Okay. Next question. How many C sections can you have? So obviously you guys know I'm a physio, I'm not an obstetrician, I don't perform C-sections, so this is not really my area of expertise, but I'll just comment anecdotally from what I understand is that there's a whole, so there's a whole range of um, opinions you'll get on this. And that's why I think it's best to really sit down with your doctor and discuss this option, discuss 
the reasoning behind the number that they've given you and the risk factors if you were to continue having babies, etc. etc. Talk about how big you want your family. That's a really important factor in having a cesarean section if there is a limit. Um, I know a lot of it has to do with how well your scar tissue forms after the first baby, um, which you're not always going to be able to predict in advance. But I know women who've had four or five C-sections, so it's obviously not impossible, but it's going to be individual to each person. So I've personally had two C-sections and my obstetrician, um, I spoke about how I wanted three or four children and there was never any concern about having that many cesarean sections if that's what I chose to do. So that's what I know about that. But like I said, go and speak to your doctor. Um, They'll definitely be able to help you ask lots of questions. Okay, next question. What was your age gap between births and what recommendation were you given? Yeah, so this one came up a lot. A lot of people had questions about this. So uh, everyone is different. I personally have always wanted children close together. I like the idea of having a season of life where everyone is a similar age. Uh, I didn't really want to stretch it out and have you know, a school age kid and a newborn. That's just me personally. So I always knew it was really important to me if I could to try and have children close together. And as you'll hear in my birth story, episode uh, three, my first birth story, I spoke about how one of my main concerns about walking into my first C-section was, what does this mean for my family? How, How close an age gap can I have? How many children can I have? Is this going to affect that at all? So personally, I, so I'm pregnant with my third as I record this podcast right now, and I have had a 20 month age gap between all of my babies. So that has never come up as an issue with any doctor I've ever seen, any obstetrician I've ever seen. No one has ever commented on that being a problem. I had a 20 month age gap between my first two cesarean sections and uh, my scar was fine. Everything recovered well. I, mean, I was never told that it was a problem. So again, everyone is different, but that is my personal experience with that. And the recommendation I was given, which I think is seems to be very different for everyone as well, but I was recommended to wait 12 months between falling pregnant. So uh, I, I didn't quite wait that long. I waited about 10 or 11 months, but again, it wasn't any problem, but that's just what my obstetrician recommended. I'm not sure what the recommendation is based on. So it might be worthwhile talking to your obstetrician about the reasoning behind it, whether it's unique to you or, you know, what the, I guess, gold standard on waiting in between. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the theory is behind it, but like I said, mine are all 20 months apart and I've never been given any grief over this. It's never caused me any problems at all. So I hope that helps. Next question, will my milk come in after a C-section and is it true that it takes longer? So this is a great question. This always comes up a lot. I'd recommend you also go back through my podcast series to the one I did with Amberly Harris, which was our first podcast series on breastfeeding. And we do answer this question um, in our breastfeeding series. So I'd recommend you go back and listen to that. But in short, My understanding from Amberly and from other midwives that I've spoken to is that having a cesarean section can potentially delay your lactation. So it can delay your milk coming in because the same cascade of hormones that would happen in a natural vaginal delivery haven't happened in a cesarean section. So it could potentially delay that milk coming in, which maybe could set you up for some issues with breastfeeding. However, as I said in the initial podcast with Amberly, 
This is so not the case for a lot of women that I speak to. So it's not black and white just because this could happen or it's a potential risk factor doesn't mean that it happens to everyone. So personally for me, my milk came in on day three, which is very standard for both my babies. And I never had a single issue with breastfeeding. A slight cracked nipple with my first, but that had nothing to do with the cesarean section. That had everything to do with being a new mum and having no idea about baby latch or what was normal or how much pain to tolerate. But other than that, I have always had a brilliant breastfeeding journey. I've fed both my kids for just over a year and never had any troubles with milk supply. Now, I know that's not the case for every woman that has a cesarean birth and And the flip side, it's also not the case for every woman who has a vaginal birth. So I think there's so many factors to play in when it comes to milk supply. But a lot of the understanding I have, this is from Amberly and from other midwives I've spoken to, is that you can compensate for the fact that you've had a C-section, which may potentially put you on the back burner by having loads of skin to skin. So really getting that oxytocin cranked right up. So as soon as you're with your baby again, having as much skin to skin as possible can really help to stimulate the lactation system so that you don't have any issues with delayed milk supply. So I hope that helps, but definitely go speak to a midwife or lactation consultant about that if you are concerned. But I did interview a number of Pregnancy Posse members and I think of the six or seven women that I interviewed, six of them had completely normal breastfeeding journeys, no troubles at all. So that was really positive to know. Next question. Do some women feel disconnected from the birth or their baby? Now, obviously I can't answer on behalf of all women, but for sure, like I think regardless of the mode of delivery, cesarean section or vaginal, I think you can always feel disconnected from the birth or the baby, depending on how the birth went, how you felt during the birth, how you, you know, how the health of the mum and the baby were both mentally and physically. I think there's so many factors that play into that. Personally, I, I didn't really have that disconnected feeling, but I was separated from my son in my first birth, which you can hear about in episode three. And I do remember feeling like this is strange. I've just had a son where like, wow, I'm a mum, And I could see how if I was away from him for any longer, potentially that could have hampered our bonding and, you know, our connection with each other. But fortunately, I didn't experience that. So once I was able to be with him again, um, I felt a good connection and we got on with that. And Everyone is different as well, but I've never been one of those mums that feels instantly connected and loved up with my baby from day one. I think it's a growing love for me personally. So uh, every day that I get to know them more, I love them more and understand them more and that love just grows and grows. And that's different for everyone. Some people have that overwhelming sense of love and connection from day one. I personally didn't have that. And I know loads of women inside my pregnancy posse and my friends, my social circle, they don't feel that on day one. So don't put pressure on yourself if you don't feel that. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with your bond or connection. It can take time. You guys don't know each other really that well yet, so it can take time. So I hope that helps. Next question. I want to learn more about gentle cesarean sections or maternal assisted cesarean sections. Oh yes, this is a good one. So I have had two standard cesarean sections, but if I were to have a third one, one of my big 
big motivations was to have a maternal assisted cesarean section. And my obstetrician was one of the leading OBs who was doing these and encouraging women to have these, which is really positive. And it seems to be taking off everywhere I look. There's at least one or two obstetricians in the hospitals doing gentle or maternal assisted cesarean section. So again, this is just me answering answering personally from what I understand, but always go and speak to your hospital and your obstetrician about this. But my understanding is a maternal assisted cesarean section is when you can actually help to lift baby out of your tummy onto your chest so that you're getting that beautiful physiological lift and pull onto your chest like you would in a natural birth but it's in a surgical birth and it means you get this beautiful connection to your baby, this wonderful skin on skin time straight away. And it can be a really empowering way for women to feel like they're in control and that they've still got this really beautiful experience, even though it's a surgical birth. Um, It doesn't have to be sterile and unpleasant. So I think it's really beautiful that this is making way um, so much more common for women to be experiencing maternal assisted cesarean sections. And um, I know one of the main concerns with some obstetricians is how to keep the environment sterile. I think there's all these procedures around how the mum has to glove up and whatnot. But regardless of the logistics, it definitely can happen. If you feel up to it, if it's something you're really interested in, you can definitely pull your baby up onto your chest. You just need to speak to your obstetrician about their training and their understanding on this and whether or not they'd be willing to help you do that. And then my understanding is that there is a difference to a gentle cesarean section, just from the chats I've had with obstetricians. This is not something I was aware of. I thought there was just the maternal assisted version. But I understand a gentle C-section is where they get baby's head out and then I believe they encourage you to push down through your abdomen as if you were pushing vaginally and it helps to sort of pop baby out from your tummy. I never quite understood it to be honest. I'd love to hear from someone who understands it a little bit more but my understanding is whilst you don't lift baby up onto your chest like you would in a maternal sister C-section, you can sort of help to bear down and help them to get out of that incision site in your tummy. Other options as well, like thinking more broadly for gentle gentle C-sections is what I spoke about in episode one. So if you haven't, go check that out, episode one for this C-section birth series. But I spoke about like asking for your birth preferences. So if you want the lights dimmed, if you want conversation kept low, if you want certain music playing, there are other ways that you can make it a really beautiful, gentle birth experience. So go check out episode one for more uh, ideas on that. Okay, and the next one is how to feel empowered. Now, this is such a deep topic and a deep question, and it's beyond the scope of just birth. But what I would recommend, go and check out episode one, because that's all talking about mental preparation and processing of birth, where we talk about feeling empowered and how to make birth beautiful, even if it is a surgical birth or an unplanned birth. I think it's really important. But just briefly, I think educating yourself is really, really important. So making sure you are informed, you ask questions. So birth is not the time to just sit back and people please. Birth is the time to understand and ask questions and ask why people are suggesting the things that they are suggesting or ask why those procedures carry out the way they do. I think it's such an important learning opportunity to learn about 
you know, what's going to happen and why it's going to happen, not to be passive, to be really playing an active role in your pregnancy and your birth is very important. So don't be shy, but instead be confident. You are the mother, you are the patient. So definitely encourage you to be strong and confident, curious, and ask lots of questions. Um, I think that's a really, really important part of feeling empowered. Regardless of how your birth turns out, if you are informed, it is a huge step towards feeling empowered. Um, and the, the other things I would recommend is to go back to episode one and listen to the other ways, like some of my pregnancy posse members describe the ways they're processing their birth and mantras they're telling themselves or the things they use during surgery. I think they were all very empowering stories. So I definitely recommend you go check those out. Um, I felt empowered in my two cesarean sections, mostly because I was making the decision. I never felt pressured. I felt very informed and educated at the time and I felt respected, which I think is really, really important. I felt like, um, I had a lot of respect from the team around me and that the choice was ultimately mine and there was no fear or, manipulation or coercion or anything like that and that was a big part of why I felt empowered so yeah next one. Oh yes a lot of women have asked me this so I'm going to walk you through it what is the step-by-step process from admission to discharge now I do talk about the the postnatal side of it a little bit more in episode two when I talk about physical recovery so I talk about how you know, you're bed bound and there's a catheter and rada, rada, rada. So I might just talk you through for the sake of keeping this episode as concise as possible. I might just talk you through the admission. So for me personally, I, well, I had like two semi unplanned cesarean sections. You'll hear about them in episode three and four. If you haven't already heard them, go check them out. But it was different to a completely planned C-section where you do just turn up and get admitted. But essentially you sign some paperwork Um, and I walked myself to theater, you sit outside theater and you meet a team of people from, I've always been a hot blubbering emotional mess before my surgery. So I probably can't recall exactly what happened, but I believe you meet your midwife and your anesthetist. I feel like the anesthetist plays a really important support role in surgery. So I've always found them to be the most comforting person in the room. They sit next to your ear. They talk you through what's happening. They're very kind in my experience. Um, So you meet them. Um, People try and calm you down if you're a hot blubbering mess. And then for my first c-section I then walked into surgery and my husband had to stay outside I'm not entirely sure why that is I think it's to do with prepping you but they can come in as soon as the spinal's in and for my first I had the spinal put in in a seated position and I had to slouch forward I did not like that I found it really quite uncomfortable whereas for my second I was lying on my side and that was 100,000 times better so if you can if you don't like sitting I don't I don't know if you can request lying but I tell you what for me it was 100,000 times better to lie down to get the spinal then they roll you over and you start to feel really weirdly numb and heavy and look I've never had surgery um, like this before so it's all a bit new. It's all a bit strange. They roll you over they do checks on you to make sure you can't feel things, which I couldn't, fortunately. Um, I remember feeling like a warm, tingly feeling. Um, some people get the shakes and get nauseous. Touch wood, I didn't have that at all. And then I'm just trying to walk myself through this now. It can get quite hazy for me. And then they 
my anesthetist and my obstetrician talked me through what they were doing at each stage. From what I remember, there's there's a lot of pressure. So there's a lot of tugging and pulling and I remember feeling pressure on my pubic bone and feeling, yeah, like it, I don't know, I don't want to scare anyone off it because it wasn't scary, but um, there was a lot of pressure. I felt like my whole body was moving and it was very strange to me. It, it was a lot more harsh, I guess, than I ever expected. I certainly wouldn't say it's like a gentle pop out of your baby. It's pretty, it's pretty intense trying to get that baby out. There's a lot of tugging. And I think with my daughter, there was even more because she was a little bit more like wedged down, I guess. Um, so there's a lot more pressure and tugging. I would say it would verge on feeling uncomfortable, but it was never painful. It was just strange. No one, I don't, I don't know, no one's built to experience that really it's always going to be a strange sensation it's not something we're normalized to and then um what happened next so with my second I got to watch it so they put a mirror up so I could see everything happening I could see her head come out and then her body whereas for my first I didn't watch any of that I didn't ask for it I just someone offered it to me in my second that's why I got to see it And then baby comes out and they let out a beautiful cry and it was lovely. And my husband both times announced what sex it was. And that was really beautiful. Um, At this stage, you still feel, well, I felt pretty bed bound. So it's not like I could look up. Um, So baby was, uh, I believe, wrapped up and handed to me. Again, this part's going to be very different for everyone because it will depend. Some women will get skin to skin straight away. Some women will ask to not have the pediatric checks till later. I just had the stock standard. So um, I, I'm not entirely sure what other people would get, but my baby was wrapped up, had its whatever done. And then um, I got to have them on my chest for a little bit. Then my husband left with the baby and they sewed me up and then I was wheeled out to recovery. Now, different version, first baby, I was in recovery on my own, which was really crappy. As I talk about in my birth story, I knew straight away I would never let that happen again. I really, really don't believe mum and bub should be separated if everyone is healthy and well second baby I got to have her with me so that was really really lovely so it meant I got to breastfeed straight away and that was a much nicer experience for me and then I got wheeled up to my room I had the shakes really badly for my first so I remember then I was eating and trying to work out breastfeeding and just it was all a bit of a haze and I don't know if that's the same for someone who's had a vaginal delivery whether it's hazy or that it's just because I'd been pumped with anesthetics or whatnot, but I can just speak from my own experience. Then I was in hospital for four or five nights and by the time I left to go home, I felt pretty good. So that's like a super quick summary, but I know women want to know like the nitty gritty ins and outs of what does that day actually look like? That's what it looked like for me. So I hope that helps. (laughs) Um, The next question is, I've kind of covered it, but it said, could you feel them cutting into you? Could you see it or feel anything? So I couldn't feel them cutting into me. I could definitely feel them moving the baby or my stomach. I'm not entirely sure what it was. I wasn't watching at that stage, but I could feel a lot of pressure, definitely a lot of pressure. And I could see it for my second because they put the mirror up, but they only put that up once the head was coming out. Um, In my first, I didn't see anything until they pulled him out. But both times I've had beautiful photos taken by 
I think the anaesthetist again did them in both situations, but beautiful photos of baby coming out of me, like really raw, bloody photos, but I love them. (laughs) And they're not for everyone, but I think it's really beautiful if you can't be in a position to watch that. It's really beautiful to have those memories if you want to refer back to them and see what happened while I was lying flat and I couldn't see anything. I think it's really beautiful to have photos. Next question. We're almost done, guys. I promise this has gone way longer than I expected, but pelvic floor recovery. Is it the same as a vaginal birth or is it different? Great question. I would recommend you go back to episode five in my pelvic floor series where I talk about the impacts of pregnancy and birth because I discuss this in more detail, but your risk of prolapse is less if you have a cesarean section, but your risk of incontinence is much the same because you're still being pregnant. So pregnancy is a risk factor in itself, even though you haven't had the, the pushing out through the pelvic floor like you would in a vaginal delivery. So you definitely still need to do pelvic floor recovery in cesarean section. So whilst majority of women will not feel symptoms or anything like that, you've still had impact on the pelvic floor changes to the pelvic floor. It's super important that you rehab it, but go check out episode five in the pelvic floor series. That will definitely help you. Next question. Do you bleed just as much after a cesarean section compared to a natural birth? So this was interesting because I've never known anything different. Um, I've only ever had two cesarean sections so far. And I was told I didn't bleed anywhere near as much as I expected. And I was told that this is really common because they, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they kind of suck out the blood a little bit more because they've got instruments and things. So while they're in there, they can kind of clean it up. a little bit better. So my understanding is you don't tend to bleed as much or as heavy as after a vaginal delivery, but that was just what I was told. And that was just my experience. So I didn't have a truckload of bleeding or clots or anything like that after birth. Interesting question though. Next question, calming methods during surgery. So I would highly recommend you go listen to episode one in this C-section series where Corinna shares her story with her husband and the story that he took her through and it was beautiful. It, it gave me goosebumps. It was, it was really, really beautiful. And I think that's a beautiful way to stay calm during surgery. So I definitely recommend you go back and have a listen to that. That was, I think I would do that if I were to have another C-section. It was really, really beautiful. Um, now, next question. How did you manage a C-section recovery when looking after a toddler? Great question. So a few tips that I have for you. So when it, you've had a C-section, you obviously, when you've had a birth, it doesn't even have to be a C-section, but when you've had a birth, your body is very vulnerable. Now, toddlers are very heavy and very physically demanding, unfortunately, so it's not a good situation. So I think it's best to be prepared beforehand. So try to get as much help in as possible before you give birth so that you're not all of a sudden left stranded, just you and your toddler, you know, not being able to help each other out. So I would try and get some family or friends around to help you just to offload some of those toddler responsibilities you would usually have, or even just to offload some of the other responsibilities you would normally have so that all you have to do is focus on your children, i.e. get someone else to cook for you, clean for you, those sorts of things. But when it specifically comes to your toddler, a few little ergonomic hacks that you can try so you're not lifting, bending, doing all those sorts of things. So I never lifted my son in or out of the cot for the first month at least because that was way too much pressure. So I would get somebody else to do that. If not, you would maybe consider putting them on a mattress on the floor or some other version like that where you don't have to lift them in and out of the cot because that's a really big 
big load for your tummy muscles. That's not something I'd recommend you be doing after a cesarean section birth. Other thing is so that you're not constantly up and down to the pantry, to the cupboard, to the fridge, cut up snacks beforehand that maybe at the start of the day, have them readily available in the fridge so your toddler can help themselves if they are hungry so that you're not constantly having to get up and down and move around. Or if you're in the middle of feeding, they can help themselves to snacks. I think that's really important. If your toddler's in a high chair, I would recommend that you don't be lifting them in the high chair. So if they can climb in themselves by using like a step or a chair to get in there, perfect. If not, invest in one of those little kids tables with the little mini kids chairs so they can sit at their own table so you don't have to lift them in and out. Nappy changes if your toddler's still in nappies. Again, I wouldn't be lifting them onto the change table. I would get my son to climb up the change table because I had a few rungs that he could climb up. So that made a world of difference. And if you can't do that, you're actually going to be better off um, getting like a step or something to the side or another chair, getting them to climb up or just doing it on the bed or the floor so you're not lifting them on or off. So whilst you're having to bend over if it's on the bed or the floor, at least you're not having to do the lifting phase of it. So They would be my top tips to manage a toddler, but you really need to outsource help. I do believe that is probably the most important thing you could do. Good luck. (laughs) Now, the last two questions I have are are similar. So they're not really questions that I feel I can answer personally or professionally, but I'm going to try and direct you to some other resources that might help. So I was getting a lot of questions around things like, once you've had an emergency C-section, can you ask for a planned one? Short answer, you really can ask for whatever you want when it comes to birth. So you are the, you're in charge. You are the patient. Obviously you're going to be informed by your colleague, uh, not your colleagues, your birth team and the professionals around you. And you need to understand why they're recommending the things they recommend. But at the end of the day, it is your choice. It is your body. No one can do something to you that you don't want them to do. So if you want a plan C-section, you should be able to advocate for yourself. If you you know, have concerns about going through another vaginal delivery, you should definitely be able to talk this through with your birth team and come to a really, really good, respectful understanding about why you know, you want this choice and, you know, the different options for you, understand the stats, understand the risk factors, all of that. It's a re- you need to have this discussion with people, but just keep in mind, you can always do what you want to do. I think it's really important. No one can make you do anything. I think that's really important. That might sound controversial to some um, people can inform you, but no one can force you. I think that's, that's so important to know. And other questions I was getting are things like, what are the risks of having multiple C-sections? What are the risks of having a VBAC? Is there a difference in recovery from an emergency versus a planned C-section? What are my thoughts on having a C-section after pelvic floor trauma, et cetera, et cetera. Now, everyone is so individual. So that's why I'm not going to answer these questions individually because I've not had experience with a lot of this. It's all highly unique to you, the person submitting the question. So I'm, I'm keeping in mind, that's not my area of expertise to answer that. But what I would recommend is that you need information. So to make any sort of decision, you need information. So you need to have an open, respectful conversation with your birth team about risk factors, about the stats, about why they're suggesting the intervention that they're suggesting or whatever it is that is your concern. Um, I definitely recommend you check out RANSCOG. They are the Royal Australian New Zealand 
uh, College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They have a whole heap of research. Evidence-based birth is also a really good uh, place that you can go to to find out the research and the statistics and the risk factors and all these sorts of things. There's a million and one online support groups. So whether that be for VBAC or plan C-sections, whatever it is, um, some people will warn you against these groups. I think that we are smart women with our own intellect and our own brain. I think we can make our own decisions. So I don't warn women against these support groups because I think you can find really good nuggets of gold in these support groups. But I think you also need to go in with an open mind. And keep in mind that they're not trained health professionals, which is fine. It doesn't mean that their experience isn't valid, but just keep in mind that if it's triggering you or making you feel uncomfortable or not helping you, then you maybe need to opt out of it. So personally, in my second, I joined a lot of VBAC support groups, but I actually, I got a really yucky vibe from them. I'm not sure why. I can't really articulate why. So I actually removed myself from those. I wasn't, I wasn't getting the education I was hoping to. Whereas for my third pregnancy, I'm getting a lot of, um, a lot of great support and ideas and, um, what's the word? I'm just getting a lot of good information from support groups, which is strange. I'm not sure why I feel that way this time versus the second time, but I think you just need to judge how you feel being in those support groups because, they, they can be really triggering for some women. They can be really helpful for other women. So just see how you feel. And I think listening to other people's birth stories is also really important. Obviously, always keeping in mind that is their birth story. It is unique to them. No one is going to have the same birth story, but I think there's power in sharing stories. So I always recommend like Australian birth stories. There's VBAC birth stories. There's C-section birth stories. Just Google on your podcast play. You'll find a million and one birth stories podcasts and I think it's really valuable to share these stories and hear other women's experiences and you should pick up a lot from that so that's where I would suggest you go talk to your birth team have really open dialogue there check out the RANS COG and evidence-based birth websites join support groups if that feels right to you and listen to other people's birth stories so (laughs) that is probably one of my longer episodes I'm sorry if I waffled I'll have to um listen back to this and hopefully not edit too much out but I really hope you enjoyed that guys and if you have any follow-up questions as always head over to at physio laura and let me know and otherwise have a wonderful day I'll talk to you soon Hey mamas, Laura here. I really hope you enjoyed my first Q&A style episode today. I hope that it helped to answer any of the burning questions that you might have had around C-section births. I honestly am a pretty open book, so please do head over to my socials at PhysioLaura if you have any follow-up questions or want to chat with me further. I always love to hear your feedback. And if you haven't already, just subscribe to the Pregnancy with PhysioLaura podcast so you don't miss any of the amazing upcoming series that we have planned for the podcast. And don't forget to check out my online membership program, The Pregnancy Posse, if you would like more guidance and support throughout your pregnancy. Inside the Pregnancy Posse, you will find weekly guided pregnancy workouts and extensive resources library on birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises, and managing pain and injuries, plus a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A with me. Now, I would love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth, and postnatal journey. So just visit thepregnancyposse.com to see what the posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. I will catch you soon for our next amazing podcast series. And until then, mamas, sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy.